Our scripture reading this morning comes from Malachi, chapter 1. Um, if you have the Bible from the back of the view in front of you, that is on page 753. So again, it's Malachi, chapter 1, page 753 in the Pew Bible. The Oracle of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals in the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. This is Thank you, Susie, for reading God's word for us this morning. Good morning to everyone. So glad that you're here. Can you guys hear me okay? We're good? Awesome. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Sebastian. I am the pastoral resident here, and I get to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, we finally have reached the last stretch in our series, The Minor Prophets. And I just want to remind you that when we say minor prophets, we don't mean it as less significant. We just mean that the writings just are shorter. And so hopefully through our series, uh, you've been able to see how God uses prophets to reveal himself and his character to his people. As we've seen in Jonah, uh, God's mercy was highlighted. In Amos, God's justice was addressed. Hosea focused on God's covenantal love. Micah emphasized God's, God's forgiveness. Zephaniah, God's singing. Nahum and Obadiah, God's judgment. Habakkuk, God's sovereignty. Joel, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, or Haggai, God's promises. Zechariah, God's heart for restoration. And this morning, we're going to get to see what Micah has for us. As we come to the end of our series, I just want to encourage us this morning to consider the purpose of the judgment uh, that God has brought upon those who have broken his covenant. And hopefully we would be awakened to the reality of God's heart towards his people and see with clarity that God shows his, passion, his compassion and his mercy as he calls and invites his people to return to him and to wait on him. So before we dive into Malachi, I just have a few questions for us. I think we all understand this reality that scripture has not been written to us, but it's been written for us. We can say that. So we are going to be able to see, uh, we see the Malachi addresses the people of Israel, written to Israel. And with that in mind, I just want us to engage our hearts and engage our minds this morning and wrestle with these questions. What is it that we're doing here this morning? Who are we here for? Why are we here this morning? Are we here because we didn't have anything better to do this morning? Are we here because we're just checking the box to say, you know, this is what we do. This is what my family does on Sunday morning. So we come to church. 
Are we just simply going through the motions this morning? The Pew Research Center released a a study where they aim to answer the question as to why people decide to go to church. And they found that out of all the people here in the U.S. that they interviewed, uh, they found that 81% of Americans who go to church, they go to church because they want to become closer to God. Out of all the people that they interviewed, 69 of them, 69% uh, said that they go to church so that their children will have a moral foundation. 68% go to church to become a better person. And 66% of them go to church to find comfort in times of trouble. Now, all of these things are good things, but just like Malachi is addressing this issue for God's people in their time, we also have to consider the reality for us. And that is this, that sometimes we get so used to the routine of the things that we do on Sunday mornings that we grow discouraged and and even cold to the reality of who God is. And even maybe uh, we grow uh, disengaged. We become disengaged to the reality of the gospel. Malachi shows us that God's people are going through the motions, that they are bored, that they have grown cold to the promises and the mighty works of God. So let's dive in this morning and see what Malachi has for us. Before we do that, I just want to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are so good and so kind to us. And I just pray that you would awaken us to that reality of who you are. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds uh, to see your beauty and uh, to see your faithfulness. Father, I pray that uh, my words this morning would be very few and that your word that is alive and active would penetrate our hearts and bring the conviction that you have prepared for us this morning. We praise you because you have made this day for us to come and rejoice in the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, as we usually do when we address the Minor Prophets book, we talk about the context of of the book. And this morning, I just want to talk a little bit about Malachi um, with you. Malachi is uh, the last prophet out of the 12 Minor Prophets. And uh, we've seen how God has used him to deliver his word and prophesy to his people right before he goes silent for 400 years. This is the period known as the intertestamental period where the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins. So there's a period of 400 years, just in case if you are not familiar with that. Uh, And Uh, scholars uh, point to Malachi as a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah, since Malachi is actually addressing sort of the same issues that they are also addressing with God's people. And so um, they date Malachi, the writings of Malachi, to the middle of the 5th century. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 8, the language that is used like governor in that there's a connection to the Persian Empire. And so they try to work together. It's not very clear, but they, they have consensus that it's probably around uh, the middle of the 5th century when BC, when Malachi was written. So what is it? What is it that Malachi is, is doing um, 
here. We see that Malachi addresses God's people who now at this point, if we remember, have come from exile. They're back into their land where they were instructed to build the second temple. Malachi's words uh, were directed to Israel. This is what we see in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. When Malachi addresses Israel as the people, um, he includes the righteous, the disillusioned, the cynical, the callous, the dishonest, the doubting, the apathetic, the skeptical, and the outright wicked. God's people at this point, they have grown uh, discouraged and careless in their worship. Their spiritual life has basically been uh, dying out. And they feel that God at this point has forgotten them in a way. That God has abandoned them. You see, this Jewish community was prompted by several uh, theological misunderstandings. This is why they felt that weight on their shoulders. And those theological misunderstandings were, for example, the expectation of wealth uh, that Haggai promised once the second temple was rebuilt. We see this in Haggai chapter 2, verse 7. You can read all about it there. We also see the misconception of the restoration of the Davidic covenant predicted by Ezekiel in Ezekiel 34, and the implementation of Jeremiah's new covenant in Jeremiah 31. In the mind of the Jewish community in Malachi's time, they think that God has felt them because these promises have not been realized. The temple is built now. They're doing their worship acts, but the promises have not been fulfilled. So they feel like God has abandoned them. So Malachi comes as a prophet of Yahweh to emphasize God's love and God's nature as the king, as the father, as the master. And Malachi rebukes Israel for their unfaithfulness and calls them to return to him, to come back to him. So Malachi highlights the big idea that I think is is for us this morning, and that is the Lord loves his people and calls them to return to him, to give him, to give honor to his name and to wait on him to act on their behalf. So with that in mind this morning, uh, my aim is that we would delight, that we would delight in bringing honor to God as we hold fast to the hope that we have in Christ. So let's explore this big idea for us by looking at these three things. We're going to get to look at God's love. We're going to get to look at Israel's unfaithfulness. And lastly, we're going to get to look at God's promise. So let's, let's go right in. God's love. What is, this, uh, what is Malachi saying about God's love? This is how he starts. He says in verse 2, Chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. I think this highlights one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most important themes that we see throughout the minor prophets, and that is God's love for his people. I think that it's important to mention this. When we read, uh, I have loved you, says the Lord, uh, when you look at the original Greek, uh, obviously it's this aspect of, of this verb, love, to be operating in the past. But 
also, it has this aspect of this love, the verb, operating in the now, in the present. So not only is the Lord saying, I have loved you, but it also says, I love you. The big surprise here, though, is that uh, although the Lord tells Israel that he loves them, they respond with a doubtful heart. And they ask the Lord, well, you say that you love us, but how have you loved us? This is what I want to invite you to look at chapter 1, verse 2 until verse 5. It says this, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now, what is happening here? Malachi explains that the Lord has shown his love to Israel as he brings the story of Jacob and Esau. Now, keep in mind, this story is a very familiar story to the people of Israel. This is what we can find or we can see in Genesis 25 where we, we, we see uh, Abraham is the father of Isaac. So Isaac and uh, Rebekah are, the Lord allows them to conceive and they have Jacob and Esau. Not in that order, it's Esau and then Jacob in that order. Um, and so this is basically Israel's, you can say, origin story. And the point here is to remind them of how the Lord has loved them. So the Lord responds to their question by reminding them of what he has done for them. Eric Tully uh, has a commentary on uh, Malachi, and I find it really helpful because he says the following regarding the interaction between Yahweh and the people of Israel. He says this, Yahweh responds by reminding them of two things. First, he chose Jacob, the father of Israel, but rejected Esau, even though Esau was the firstborn. His choice of a covenant partner does not depend on merit, but on his sovereign will. Second, his judgment, his judgment on the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, is deserved and is a demonstration of his love for his own people. See, God reminds them of his love by highlighting how they have been chosen by him. And he shows them uh, his justice and his judgment so that they would be reminded, reminded of what they have been spared from. God is not treating them like the people of Edom. So God shows his love. But then he brings his accusation and he confronts Israel's unfaithfulness. This is how we get to see that. There are several things that the prophet Malachi addresses to indict or to bring charge to Israel. And throughout Malachi, we see that the Lord deals with Israel in a series of, of six different um, disputes. And these disputes normally consist of God's uh, statement. God says something then the people of Israel respond to God by maybe questioning him and doubting him. 
And then the Lord uh, ends up responding to that question and answers that for them. So the first uh, disputation we've seen, we've seen how God says, I have loved you. The people of Israel say, how have you loved us? And then the Lord responds and says, this is how I've loved you. In the second disputation, this is what we get to see. This is all about the honor that belongs to God. In Malachi 1 verse uh, 6, God reminds Israel that he is the father and he is the master. And Israel, instead of bringing him the honor that belongs to him, they despise his name. This is what it says, uh, starting in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Now, let's remember what we know from Leviticus chapter 22. This is where God commanded his people to offer sacrifice. And in this sacrifice, God gives a description of how this sacrifice uh, should look like and should be. He says that it needs to be without blemish. It needs to be a perfect sacrifice in order for it to be accepted by God. Well, Malachi addresses the fact that this is not what the people of Israel at this time, this is not what they're doing. Their sacrifice were damaged goods. When we read in, in, in verse 8, it says this, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? says the Lord of hosts. They were giving little to no worth sacrifice. They were offering damaged sacrifice. It wasn't coming from a heart that wanted to honor God, but simply a heart that was going through the motions. I just want to ask that to us this morning. Can we sometimes relate to that? Can we identify when we ourselves are going through the motions and how that affects our worship to God? Just want you to think about that this morning. Let's dive into the third uh, disputation. In response to this, the Lord says to them that he will not accept their sacrifice and that they have uh, profaned his sanctuary and despised his name. So Israel asked, well, why not? Why are you not going to take our sacrifice? We see how the Lord responds in chapter 2, verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she's your companion and your wife by covenant. 
Now we see that Malachi here addresses that they have broken God's covenant. And he highlights this two different ways of how they've done that. Because from the very beginning of the covenant between God and Israel, uh, Israel was prohibited to marry outside of the faith. Let's get that clear. It was outside of the faith. Let's not get confused with, oh, were they not allowed to marry outside their ethnic group? It has always been about the faith. And we see this with the example of Ruth and Boaz. Two people from two different ethnic groups coming together. That was okay. So here we see the two ways in which Israel broke God's covenant. Because the first, uh, they broke covenant with God by marrying women that worship other gods. Little g gods. And then the second, uh, they broke covenant with God because they broke covenant with each other by breaking their marriages, by divorcing uh, their wives of their youth. And God calls this a faithless act, and he's deeply offended by this action from his people. So then God brings another disputation. This is the fourth disputation. God says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice. What is happening here? We see that the people have wearied the Lord. They have gotten to a point where they call evil good. In their efforts to justify their actions regarding divorce, uh, they go so far as to say that what they've known to be evil from the beginning is now something that could be considered good for them. So I just want to ask you this morning for us, um, can you see that in our culture today? Can you see how people, I'm not going to go into details, but can you see how people uh, are willing to call what is evil good? Let's dive into the fifth disputation. This, uh, this one comes in form of an indictment because the Lord charges them of robbing him. He says this in, in, in chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Pause there. Just want to highlight God's faithfulness in that verse. That is all because of God's love and faithfulness to his people. Even here, he's highlighting that and saying, this is how I've loved you and I still love you. You will not be consumed. Resume verse 7. It says this. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. But you say, how shall we, or excuse me, uh, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will men rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Again, what is happening here? 
The Lord brings charge to Israel because they have not given God proper tithes. Now, if you're not familiar with the concept of, of tithing, um, we know this uh, from Leviticus 27, where tithing refers to the uh, giving uh, back to God a, a tenth of your wealth and your, the blessings that he has given to you. Um, I want to highlight that um, this uh, is seen as an act of worship to God. This is how people would bring honor to God. And God is saying, this is also how you have dishonored my name by not giving the proper tithes. This uh, had uh, very heavy social implications because uh, through tithing, uh, this is how God would provide to the Levites and the priests. And not only that, but this is how God would provide to the poor and the widow and the orphan. So God states that they are cursed because they have been unfaithful with their tithes. The curse was the consequence of robbing and cheating God. In this section of the passage, we see how uh, God calls his people to return to him, to come back to him. So in other words, God is calling them to repent so that they may experience the mercy and the forgiveness and the love of God. He calls them to exhibit a wholehearted devotion in worship to him, not a careless devotion. So in chapter 3, verse 10, Malachi says this, Bring the, tithe, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. I just, I, I love how the Lord says, hey, repent from your ways. Come back to me, but don't stop there. Test me and see my care for you, my love for you. Now, in this last disputation, disputation number six, now we get to see uh, that the Lord confronts Israel by telling them that their words have been hard against him. We go to chapter 3, verse 13. He says this, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve the Lord, God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Israel has gotten to a point where they find it difficult to be faithful to God and to serve Him. This is what Eric Tooley says about the situation. They have analyzed the cost and benefits of serving God and decided that it is not worth it. Remember 
the theological misunderstandings uh, that they had, that they thought that the promise by now, because the, semp- the second temple was already rebuilt, that the promises were going to be fulfilled. So they're analyzing this, and now they're saying, the wicked are the ones who are prospering, and they test you, and they escape. What, is it worth it to us to walk in the ways of the Lord and, and give you honor if this is what's going to happen? Now, let me ask you this for you. Um, have you ever felt that way? When you look at the situations around your life and it seems like other people are having it better than you and here you are bringing your worship to the Lord and walking in your ways? You get hit with the reality of the brokenness and the sinfulness around us and within us. And so now the question comes to mind. Is it worth it to serve the Lord and walk in His ways? The Israelites right right there are expressing their experience with the suffering and poverty around them because they began to think that the evildoers were truly the ones who were benefiting from God. But here is what the Lord says for those who fear Him and trust Him and bring Him worship. Malachi 3.16 Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Hear the words of the Lord for those who trust in him. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasure possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. See, in love, the Lord has brought charges against the people of Israel to remind them of who he is, to remind them who they are, whose people they are, and to call them to return to him, to give honor to his name, to be faithful to him and to treat each other faithfully, now with acts of faithlessness. And this is where we get to see God's promises now. God awakens his people to the reality that he's not done with them yet. There is more to come. So Malachi speaks for God and highlights how Yahweh still on the move. That God is so committed in loving and caring and rescuing his people that he reveals his promises to those who trust him and fear him. So after addressing their unfaithfulness, the Lord, through the prophet Malachi, delivers a powerful, a powerful promise. The promise of the future messenger. The promise of the new Elijah. Chapter 3, verse 1 starts and says this. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them 
like gold and silver, and they will bring offering in righteousness to the Lord. See, Malachi describes to the people of God that God is sending his messenger to prepare, to prepare the way for him. And this promise is part of the theme that we've been seeing through the minor prophets. The great day of the Lord. Spoken about it. We've learned about the great day of the Lord. Um, Longman and Garland have a commentary regarding this uh, issue, the day of the Lord, and they say this. That this term, as noted in connection with Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, speaks of a coming time in which God will radically break into history and human affairs, bringing, get this, salvation and peace to those who know him, but judgment and destruction to those who do not know him. The day will come when they will be fully restored They will have joy and they will experience redemption. But also, God tells his people that on that day, he will bring judgment to the wicked. So after God reminds the people of his love for them, and after he brings charge against them for their unfaithfulness, God delivers the the promise to his people right before he goes quiet for over 400 years. And this is what he says to close the Old Testament. He says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Least I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is how the Old Testament ends. Now, if you want to know what happens, well, I want to invite you to work or wait for another 400 years, right? Can you imagine being in that spot? Yay, God's promises. Wait, 100 years? Where are the promises? 200 years? Where are the promises? 300? What is happening? Well, how does the New Testament begin? Do you guys know who John the Baptist is? I hope so. I hope that you guys know who John the Baptist is. Because the New Testament informs us that John the Baptist is identified as the promised messenger. In fact, in Matthew 11, Jesus affirms that, confirms that John has been the one that was promised as the messenger. The one that would come and prepare the way for the Lord to come. So we know, this is what we know now. Old Testament promises end with, I will send my messenger, the new Elijah. New Testament begins with, hey, John the Baptist prepares the way for the Lord. Okay, promise fulfilled. But let me remind you of this. That is not the end of the promise. That's just the beginning of the promise. I, I want to I read... Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 7, uh, this is how, uh, this is what uh, John the Baptist would preach. He would say this, and he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
See, this points to the reality that the end of the promise, the fulfillment of the promise that God has delivered to the people of Israel was the Messiah, was Christ himself. So Malachi, just like John the Baptist, uh, he points us to the one who lived a life that we could not live. This is all that we read in the Gospels. The life that we cannot live. He suffered on our behalf because of our sin. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. Why? So that we may become the righteousness of God in him. And he goes to the cross and he dies on our behalf, a death that we deserve because we are the ones who broke God's covenant. But the good news don't end there because he rose and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning with all authority now, heaven and earth. I just I, I want to read what Paul says regarding this, this good news because this is true for us. Because God is still faithful. Because God is still committed to rescuing his people. He says this because he understands what the word, the, the finished work of Christ and, and who Christ is, the person and work of Christ, what that means for him. He says this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, get this, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's for you. That's for him. That's for me. That's for all of us. And that is good news for us this morning. So I encourage you this morning to consider the warning, right? The warning that Malachi offers against this cheap kind of worship, against going through, through the motions. Are we here because we're simply didn't have anything better to do? Are we going through the motions? Is our heart cold and discouraged this morning? What about... Um, I debated if I wanted to ask this question. But, <laughs> but what about our tithing? Are we giving... I know this is a sensitive topic, right? Like money, whoa, church, I get it. But are we giving generously? The New Testament doesn't say, hey, you need to tithe the 10th percent anymore. He's saying give generously. Is that what we're doing as God's people, as an act of worship? just want to leave it there for you to think about it. I also, so there's this challenge. There's the warning. Don't go through the motions. Don't doubt the faithfulness of God, the love and his character, his care for you. But then there's also comfort. And I want to encourage you to find that comfort in the fact that Christ has come. We're about to step into the Advent season. What do we celebrate? Not that God is this transcendent God that is far above, beyond everything else, because he is. But we're also saying, Emmanuel, God with us. Malachi talked about the day of the Lord that is coming with two realities in mind. The first is the first coming of Christ to fulfill those promises of, of old. But the second day of the Lord, we know that the Lord is coming back. Christ is coming back to make all things right, all things good, all things new. So I want you to find, I want to encourage you to find comfort in that reality. That when you feel like you're going through the motions, how do you challenge your own heart? Preach the good news of the gospel to yourself daily. 
I want to close with Eric Tuley's uh, words. He says this in his commentary, No matter how long we must wait, we know that Jesus will come again to fulfill the rest of his glorious salvation. For now, whether we prosper or suffer, whether we enjoy happiness or struggle with pain, we are at the end of history. And God promises that he will never leave us as we await for his final victory. I want to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the good news of your Son, Christ, who has come to live the life that we could not, die the day that we deserve, and gloriously was risen to give us the privilege of becoming your children. Father, we praise you for who you are, for your care, for your love to us. And we pray that um, as we continue to reflect on your word and be convicted by it, that you would continue to help us and rely on the promise that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.